0: Uh, I kind of uh, misspoke last week. We're, we're continuing on uh, in our series uh, called The Gospel Marriage, and uh, next Sunday is going to be the last Sunday of of the series, uh, not not this week. Uh, and then we'll be into Mother's Day, and uh, Mother's Day is a really uh, special time around here. We're going to be uh, dedicating uh, some babies and some families, and I always, I always love that Sunday in addition to honoring moms, so we want to invite you back for that. And uh, then we'll be in a little uh, two-week series right around Memorial Day. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll get into today's message, right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for uh, your good news. We thank you for your gospel. Uh, And I just pray that we uh, would internalize this news and that out of the overflow of it, every relationship that we have would be changed. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A group of men uh, were at a gym club uh, when, a, when a cell phone started to ring. And one of the men answered it and said, yeah, honey, is that you? I can't quite hear you. The connection was really, really bad. And uh, uh, kind of heard one end of the conversation. But the woman on the other end was saying, hey, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the shop and I'd like, I found this jacket that I'd like to buy and it's really, really expensive. And he said, well, how much is it? She said, well, it's kind of a fur coat. It's about $5,000. And um, he said, okay, but make sure you buy the matching purse as well. All right. And she said, well, while I have you on the phone, I stopped by uh, the the car dealership, and I found a brand new BMW on sale. We've been talking about it for a while, but it's on sale, and I was thinking about buying it. He said, well, how much? And she said, it's about $60,000, and he said, well that'd be okay, but just make sure you get all the accessories with it. And even if it costs a little bit more, uh, I'm not going to be upset. And realizing that she, he was in kind of a good mood, she said, well, honey, remember I told you that my mother was thinking about coming to live with us and I was thinking about inviting her over for like a month just to kind of see how it goes. And he said, oh, that, that, that's fine. He said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. I'm going to get back to the gym and I love you. And she said, I love you too. And he put the cell phone down and said, does anyone know who the cell phone belongs to? Um, <laughs> Right. And that guy, uh, that guy was extremely generous uh, with somebody else's money, right? And, and generosity uh, is kind of intrinsic or built into this thing we call the gospel. The most famous gospel verse of all time is John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the the, the good news. And uh, the the gospel says that God has been very generous with us, but also says that Jesus was also very generous with us, that he uh, he wasn't forced to go to the cross. He willingly and lovingly went down, went, went to the cross. He wasn't forced to do it. The Bible would say he submitted to it. Remember our definition of submission last week is the joyful and willing service of another person, and that's and that's Jesus. And when you internalize this message of Jesus, when you internalize the message of the cross, what flows from this idea is that we are generous with one another. Uh, the way that your Bible is structured is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are kind of kind of talk about the ministry, life, and work of Jesus, the birth death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then right after the Gospels comes the book of Acts. And it's all about the life of the early church. And I want to show you one of the earliest things that was ever said about the early church. It said this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the uh, the many wonders and signs that were done by the apostles. And then look at this, all the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in the early church, there was this sense of financial generosity, but there was also a sense of relational generosity. They cared for one another. They helped one another. They served one another. They were relationally generous. And when you talk about the idea of being generous in our relationships and and, uh, for this series, talking about being generous in our marriages, there's a ton of ways you could apply this idea of being generous with one another in a marriage. We're going to apply it one way. All right, we're gonna pick one way to apply it and we're gonna look at that idea from many uh, different angles. But where I got this from was that, is that one of the, the ways that the word generosity is translated in your Bible, one of the original kind of Greek words was eulagia. And it carries with it the idea of not just being generous financially, although that's certainly a part of it. It carries the idea of being generous with your words. Eulogia. Eulagia. All right. Now, if you think about it, uh, we get our English word, eulogy, from this idea. And think about the last time uh, you went to a funeral. When you go to a funeral and somebody gets up to do a eulogy, you expect them to be generous with their words. right? If somebody, If you were ever at a funeral and someone got up and said, well, I'm going to tell you about what a jerk this guy was that would be awkward and inappropriate because you expect them to be generous and kind with, with, with their words. And so we want this idea of eulagia to invade our marriages, that we want to bless and we want to be kind and we want to be generous with our words. Think about God for a minute. I want you to think about the creation of the world. That when God decided to create the world, have you ever thought about why he did that? It wasn't because he was lonely. Right? God doesn't get lonely. So God wasn't lonely. It's because he was a blesser and he wanted to bless. He is a giver and he wanted to give. He's kind and he wanted to be kind. And so when it came to the creation of the world, the first thing that God did was he spoke that blessing into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be sea creatures. And there was sea creatures. Uh, That's for my son. Uh, God said, let there be land animals. And there was uh, you're welcome, Sam. Uh, and, and there was land animals that um, God's words are bringing life. All right? Uh when God decided He was going to uh, have a covenant with His people Israel, one of the first things God did—you may remember the story of Moses going up on the mountain—is God gave them the law. God gave them the Ten Commandments. And so, when God was going to breathe life into His community, when God was going to breathe life into His people, one of the first thing He did—one of the first things He did—was He gave them words. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not have any false gods. God spoke words to them. And, and sometimes the word of God, often in the Old Testament, it's referred to as life. That God was using his words to bring life. And then you jump on through uh, to the New Testament. And when God was ready to give us the greatest blessing of all, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of ways that Jesus is described in your New Testament. One of the ways that he's describing the New Testament is the word of God become flesh. And so God gives us words. And so when God wanted to communicate his greatest blessing to us, he gave us the word of God. And so you see this all throughout the Bible, that God is a blesser, God is a giver. And one of the primary ways that he does this is through his words. So let me ask you this question. What are your words in your marriage bringing? If you're not married, you can think about any relationship that you have. But what are your words bringing? Are your words that you're speaking, I'm talking about literal words that we speak, are they bringing life? Are they bringing blessing? Are they bringing bringing, uh, 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 life to your your marriage or are they bringing death? And I honestly think of all the sermons, this is gonna be one of the most practical sermons, but I I really think today has the possibility to change marriages. I, I really do. It's about being generous with our words. And before we get into the idea of the literal words that God wants us to speak, because the Bible actually talks about this, I want to talk about the attitude that accompanies the words because uh, the, the, being generous with our words, any kind of generous spirit only works when you have the right attitude, Right. So we're gonna, I'm gonna show you two quick passages and we're gonna kind of talk through the attitudes that accompany generosity. And you could apply, most of these uh, texts are gonna be about money, but we're gonna apply them to generosity with words because a lot of times the Greek word that is used is eulagia, right? Um That has to do with speaking blessing. And so we're, we're gonna look at these attitudes and, and the first text uh, takes place in 2 Corinthians, and kind of give you the background of this text, is Paul, um, a, a famine went through Jerusalem and devastated a lot of people, all right? it, was, it was a catastrophe, and so they wrote, and they decided that they were going to, among the churches that Paul served, they were going to collect an offering for the people living in Jerusalem, and the people living in Corinth had apparently made a very generous commitment to the Christians uh, living in Jerusalem, uh, but they hadn't yet written the check, Right? Uh, the check hadn't come through yet, and so Paul writes them Second Corinthians for a lot of reasons, but one of them is to remind them about their commitment, to remind them that they had agreed to be generous and that they needed to, like, actually write that check and, and, and send it in, and so here's what he thought, and here's what he says, and he's talking about finances, but we're going to apply it a little different way. He says, so I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you'd promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You know what can kill the power of generosity faster than anything? What can kill the power of generosity is a gift grudgingly given. And this is talking about dollars, but how many of you know that generosity with our words, when you talk about generosity with our words, those words can be grudgingly given. Right when you're in an argument with your spouse and you just want the argument to end, and you say, "Fine, I guess you're right." That is, those are words grudgingly given. Uh, when, when you're fighting all the way at, to church, and then you walk into the church building with smiles on your faces and arms around each other, right? That never happens, does it? No. Those are actions grudgingly given. When, when things are really tough, but you're putting on a, a, a happy face in, in front of other people, those are words that are grudgingly given, and it's not wrong per se. I mean, it's not always wrong to 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 to, to do that, but it's not effective either. It's not effective. Uh, The the right action accompanying the right generosity is is what's affected. So sometimes it builds resentment when it's not seen as genuine. And so before we speak any of the words that we're going to talk about, we want to ask God to give us a heart for our marriage and to give us a heart for our spouse so that our words are seen as genuine and not as grudgingly given. And when words are both genuine and generous, they have the power to repair our relationship. The Apostle Paul, just a couple, uh, uh, a couple of verses later, will say this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, this is Eulagia right here, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, so what if the key to blessing in our marriage has much more to do with generosity than we ever realized And what if generosity with our words, being more generous with our words, could begin to change and transform our relationships? Just by thinking about what we're saying, just by thinking about the words that we're using, if we became more generous with our words, what if it had the power to change things? Let me show you another kind of generosity attitude. Um, He says, command those who are rich, this is Paul writing to Timothy, command those who are rich in in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what the opposite of generosity is? The opposite of generosity is arrogance. Arrogance. Because generosity says, I'm going to do what is best for the other person. I'm going to do what is best for the relationship. Arrogance says, I'm going to do what is best for me, uh, for my desires and for my wishes. And I think it's easy to see how financially, that's what this verse is talking about, how money and arrogance could come into play, that I'm going to spend everything on me. But it's possible in terms of generosity with our words, that they can be used the same way, that I'm going to use my words and I'm going to be generous with my words, but my motivation is to get what I want. I remember uh, talking to a wife one time, and she said, yeah, uh, I let my guy think that he's a leader in the family. I'd butter up his ego, but everybody knows I'm calling the shots, right? She's using her generosity. She's using her words in an arrogant way to kind of get what she wants. Or I heard one guy say one time, man, if I'll pay my wife a compliment, she'll let me buy whatever I want. Ah. Uh, that's using generosity with your words in an arrogant way. And listen, let's just be honest about it. Typically, the, each spouse knows what the other is doing. Right? Typically, we, we can see right through that. But, uh, so the net gain that Paul's talking about in this text is totally negated. And, and the, the, net, the, 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 the net gain that Paul is talking about in this passage is that through generosity, we find life. Uh, And so what if, uh, what if being more generous with our words, what if it could bring to life what feels dead? And I really believe the power of our words has the power to do that. It has the power to bring life. And this is why Jesus said, all right, this gets to the heart of the issue. Jesus said, either, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, don't you just laugh? You, know, you brood of vipers, all right. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So Jesus is getting to this idea that this is really about our heart. This is really about our attitude. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where uh, somebody said something that they didn't really uh, mean to say. that they An inappropriate joke at work or something in anger. Or they were just more sarcastic than they intended to be. And they'll typically say something like, oh, I have no idea where that came from. And Jesus would say, I know where that came from. There's something going on with your heart. It came from the heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus would say, there's something going on in your heart. Some anger, some bitterness, something going on in your heart. And and your mouth just kind of let your heart fly for a minute. A lot of times we can kind of block our heart a little bit, you know, but for whatever reason, your mouth let your heart fly. And so out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so the question becomes, as we think about our attitude and we think about our heart, because all words are flowing from attitude and heart, the question becomes, how do we change our hearts? How do I change my heart? And this is something we have to ask God to do. All right, that, that we want to ask God to give us a heart for our spouse. We do. God, give me a heart for the, for the people around me. Give me a heart for my spouse. Give me a heart for my marriage. Ask him for the right heart. And when our heart and our attitude is right, the right words will come. And so when the right words come, but we have the wrong attitude and it's grudgingly given or it's arrogant or, or whatever, the effectiveness is completely negated. So we wanna, I wanted to make sure before we get into this that we have the right attitude, we have the right heart, and now the Bible's going to tell us some actual words that we can use. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is the building others up test of our words. The Greek word here is, it follows a construction idea. And we started, as uh, those of you that have been around for a while know, we started the idea of our building renovation a couple years ago. And we have planned and we have prepared and we have raised money. And we spent a lot of time on this. And now, as you can see, the construction process is is underway. And the idea is that when we are done, we're going to have an updated and useful space. And, And Paul is using this as a metaphor, That our words, that we speak to each other, our words have the power to build up. It has the power to renovate. It has the power to change everything. But notice what Paul says, that this has to be according to their needs. It has to be according to their needs. The construction process only works when it's according to what is needed. So I would encourage you as you're thinking about the words that you're going to be using this week with your spouse in particular. I would encourage you to think about what does your spouse need? What does your spouse need from you in terms of your words? Does your husband need to know that you're proud of him? Does your wife need to know that you think she's beautiful? Does your spouse need to know that you appreciate their contributions around the house? What is it that your spouse needs? And then use the power of words to give them what they need. Use the power of words to give them what they need. Encourage them. Uplift them. Begin to view your marriage as a construction site and build life into your marriage. Years ago, I heard a really interesting take on the healing of the 10 lepers. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus heals these 10 lepers. And leprosy, it's always been terrible, but especially back then, it was really terrible because you were ostracized from your community. You had to leave home. You lived in these leper colonies. It was really terrible. And Jesus heals, he comes across these lepers, and Jesus heals 10 lepers. Nine of them go home, and one comes back and thanks Jesus. And Jesus says, weren't 10 healed, only one comes back. And the take that I heard on this text that I really, really, it really, really moved me was this, that do you really think that the other nine were not grateful? Do you really think that the other nine were not grateful? No, their lives had been changed and transformed. They were able to go home to their kids. Of course they were grateful, but they didn't say it out loud. They didn't say it out loud. And so gratitude needs to be expressed. And and this is exactly the idea of Ephesians uh, 4.29, is that we are going to build others up. And and sometimes you might think that, that your husband is doing a really great job leading or your spouse is beautiful or attractive or whatever, but you don't say it out loud. And encouragement needs to be stated out loud. Let me show you another passage. It says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. Get this one but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. This idea of a perverse tongue, we, we think of it one way in our culture, in this culture it would have meant something different. It's describing a tongue that is vicious or mean. And you sometimes see firsthand what this does. If you've ever been in a situation where somebody's just berating another person, or, or somebody's just being mean to another person, you might see that other person start to cry, or you might see them put their head down. And what is happening in that moment? the proverb would say that their spirit has been crushed. And sometimes this comes, I think a lot of this flows from a deep desire uh, to be right in an argument, to win an argument. And if you think about that terminology, like I want, I want to win this argument. If you get to win, your spouse gets to lose, Right? So think about the, the mindset for a minute. I'm going to win this argument. That means I've got to make my spouse lose, or to use the, the terminology, uh, t- terminology of this text, I kind of have to crush you. And, and I, would, I would ask a couple questions about this. One is, what is the greater desire you have? Do you have a de- greater desire to be right, or do you have a greater desire to love your spouse? A greater desire to be right or a greater desire to love your spouse? And some of you, I I know exactly what you're thinking right now, because some of you are going, well, they're wrong. (laughs) I wouldn't have gotten into the argument if they weren't wrong. (laughs) They're, They're wrong. And that leads me to the second question. Is there a way that you can make your point in a way that doesn't crush your spouse? Is there a way you can use your your words in a way that doesn't crush your spouse's spirit? The writer of Hebrews calls this a soothing tongue. The soothing tongue, the soothing tongued person—they're not a wallflower. It's not that they don't have opinions or that they don't want to win an argument when they get in one. Um, what it's describing is that they make their point in a soothing way, not in a crush your spirit sort of way. I think my wife is really good at this. You might imagine, all right? Don't guess, but. You might imagine being married to me that I am sometimes wrong. I try to limit how often that happens. Um, But you might imagine that occasionally I am uh, wrong, and she brings that to me in a really kind way. She always has. This has always just been a part of our marriage. She brings, uh, when she disagrees with me, she brings it in a really kind way. And let me tell you, I agree with the writer of Proverbs. It's like a tree of life. So when there's a disagreement, when there's an argument, when there's a fight, you can try to crush their their spirit, to use the Proverbs language. You can try to crush them. Or you can use your words to disagree in a respectful and and good way. Let me show you what Peter writes on this. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. For, whatever, uh, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech, <laughs> right? You want to see good days? Keep your tongue from evil, all right? I, I, I talked last week about this, uh, and I want to apply it again here, this idea of kind of the ugly cycle that some relationships get into, where one person hurts, then the other person hurts, then the other person hurts, then the other person hurts, and, and it's just perpetually hurting e- e- each other, And Peter writes, what if we decided to take our ball and go home? What if we decided that we were not going to repay insult for insult for insult for insult? And what if we decided instead to bring blessing? What Paul is saying is, what if we decided to break the the cycle? Because here's what is true. You can't control them. Uh, Some of you have been trying for 20 years unsuccessfully because you can't control another person. You can't control them, but you can control you. And Peter is writing, what if we decided to begin to speak blessing into our marriage? Now, sometimes this can can get really serious, this kind of dynamic where I hurt and you hurt, I hurt, you hurt, and and it can really fracture fracture the marriage. Um, And sometimes it can even become abusive, uh, where maybe the relationship honestly needs to end because of it. But assuming we're not talking about that, Assuming we're just talking about kind of normal uh, uh, marital disagreement. What if we began to break the cycle? Somebody needs to. What if we began to do that and we began to speak blessing? You know what Peter writes? You would inherit a blessing. Peter writes you would inherit a blessing by doing this. Because this back and forth, back and forth, I hurt you, you hurt me, I hurt you, you, you hurt me, it's, it's affecting you. So stopping and introducing uh, a, a, new, a new idea uh, is going to bring blessing into your life. You're going to inherit a blessing. You're going to enjoy more life as the result of that. Let me close with uh, James 1.19. says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. All right, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I like to talk. Don't you? I like to have my point heard. I like to win arguments. But I think of the problems with the words that we speak, a lot of them have to do with our desire to be heard. And I understand that, we all wanna be heard. Everyone wants to be heard. But what if we just shifted our priorities a little bit? From, I'm not gonna have it as my number one priority to be heard, but I'm gonna have it as my number one priority to listen. What does my spouse need? Listen. What does my spouse need? Listen. What are they really saying here? Listen. It's probably not about the toilet seat. It's probably about something else, right? So you might be missing it if you think it's about the toilet. You have to listen. I don't know why I threw that example out, but yeah. <laughs> it's not about the bad, it's not about whatever. You know, it's, it's probably about something else. What are they saying? What should I be hearing? Listen. And if we can begin to listen and we can begin to change our words, watch a harvest of righteousness and life come to our relationship just by listening and realizing what they need and allowing our words to serve them speaking different words, you watch a harvest of righteousness come into your relationship. Just by breaking the cycle, you hurt, I hurt, we're hurting each other. And instead, I'm I'm gonna break it and I'm gonna introduce blessing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Jesus um, who uh, brings us words Um, You have always brought about blessing uh, through words. Uh, From creation through Jesus, you've always brought words. As a matter of fact, even at the second coming of Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come with words. He's going to be shouting something. And we want to bring life and blessing into our relationship through our words. Help us to do it. Help us to find the right words. Help us to listen. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing? Love to pray with you. If you have your prayer request or prayer need, um, I'd love to pray with you as we sing this song.